Welcome to Uncontained, episode 54. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render. And on the show today, I have San Francisco based comic Greg Gettle. And uh, we'll talk about how a polar vortex made him move out to the Bay Area, along with a recent show he did with uh, comedian Tom Garland, who was on my very first episode of Uncontained. And yes, WWE superstar. Rob Van Dam. That went down at DNA Lounge in San Francisco, a show that I wish I would have actually remembered the date of, but totally spaced out and am pissed that I missed it. Anyway, we have Greg Gettle on the show today. Very funny dude. We discuss how he got into stand-up comedy, where he gets his material from, and how he is slowly but surely adulting. I find it kind of crazy that we have so many uh, connections in common, know so many of the same comics, and yet have not met or talked up until today and i'm glad that we did because it turned into one hell of a show very much enjoyed talking to greg gettle and i think you'll enjoy hearing his story if you enjoy listening to the podcast please feel free to support the show right now you can go to uncontainedpod.com that's www.uncontainedpod.com and uh, there's that little amazon banner at the top of the page right you can click on and support the show with your amazon purchases it doesn't cost you anything extra just a couple extra clicks of the mouse and you can even set that as your as your bookmark to get to Amazon. If you really want to help out the show, that would be much appreciated. If not, that's cool too. I just want to thank you for listening. I'm not going to sit here and beg for your money. I have a styrofoam cup that I use for that when I hit the streets of San Francisco and Oakland. And uh, sometimes I do all right. Sometimes I do all right. But I won't keep you any longer. Please enjoy episode 54 with Greg Gettle. How are you doing today, Greg? And welcome to Uncontained. Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming on. So um, do you want to just get this ball rolling by telling my audience just a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got started in comedy and what made you move out to the bay from iowa uh yeah man so i started so i was a i was a student at the university of iowa and i was a junior uh, i was going into my senior year and i remember i was watching comedy central and i don't remember who the guy i was watching but i remember just watching it and then i had this moment realizing like uh, in a year i'm gonna be out of college i'm gonna be in the real real world and it sounded really depressing and I was watching this guy bomb on Comedy Central, and people have always told me to do stand-up, but like I always knew there, there was a difference that, uh, to making your friends laugh to make an audience laugh. So I was always very hesitant to start stand-up, but I've, like, I, I've watched stand-up since I was like 10 years old, maybe even younger. So it was always kind of there. So then uh, I did a little Googling, and I found out there was an open mic night in Cedar Rapids at Penguins Comedy Club at the Clarion Hotel. And uh, I had my girlfriend, because I didn't have a license, I had a girlfriend drive me from Iowa City to Cedar Rapids, and I uh, did the first, my mic there was, I think it was a Wednesday night or Thursday night, and and, uh, and I was hooked. That was basically it. And then I, I was doing comedy in Iowa for about a year, and then the day I graduated college, I moved to Chicago, because the Iowa comedy career, not as strong as you might think, so I wanted to... <laughs> 
<laughs> so I kind of wanted to try something out and see how it would go. And I w- moved to Chicago, and I was there for about two and a half years. And then that polar vortex hit. Do you remember that? I don't know. It was right after you left, but it was uh, got negative 50 wind chill in Chicago. Negative 50 wind chill. Wow. And I had to walk three miles in that to work because all the public transportation was frozen and delayed, but they just needed me at work. So I made that walk, and that was the day I realized – I was moving to California. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was like 2012 or 2000, uh, 2013 winter right there. Yeah, yeah, so that the, was, yeah, right around there, yeah. That was my first year out here in California. I just missed that, and I was getting all these texts from my friends back home in Iowa saying, I hate you so much right now because, you know, they'd send me a snapshot of, like, uh, of what the weather was there. I'd send back a picture of me in a T-shirt. And oh, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that that was uh, always, always fun. But... Yeah, man, I, I never want to see it. I don't know about you, man, but I never want to see a snowflake ever again. You know, I don't – I'm at the point right now where I've been away from snow for almost four and a half, five years. I could go visit snow. Visit snow. Yes. That's cool. I could go visit snow, but do I want to be stuck in a blizzard? Hell no. <laughs> Exactly, dude. I was I was flying to Florida like a couple months ago, and I just I just they had a layover in Chicago, and I had like a two hour layover, and of course I was like, I think I can get a cigarette in, but there's no place to smoke, so you have to like go outside and then go through security all over again. And I remember going outside, it was like zero degrees, and I didn't have like a coat on because I wasn't fucking thinking, and uh, <laughs> that, and it just refreshed everything. So yeah, I'm back to never wanting. Does he snow ever again? (laughs) There you go. There you go. Yeah, so when you moved out to the Bay Area, or at least when I moved out, everybody was telling me I was going to have, like, a big culture shock. Did you have any culture shocks moving out here? It's it's nuts. It's just more a different way of thinking out here, different style. Um, You start seeing things. uh, You start seeing your own behavior. Maybe you see tendencies that might be a little misogynist or there's things that you can say in Chicago or in the Midwest that you can't say here. <laughs> so it's just kind of a, kind of a, just another way of thinking, but definitely in my opinion, a better way of thinking. Yeah. It's, it's a lot out here in my experiences. It's been like back home. You can make fun of your friends, like rip on them, like bust their balls out here. It's like, you got to treat them, your friends like friends, you know, it's like, Weird. No, I mean, fuck my friends. They're they're <laughs> they're all pieces of shit. But uh, the, the audiences, that, those are the only ones I really care about. <laughs> right on, right on. I was listening to your stand up uh, the other day, and uh, I heard a story that you were telling about Bart. Which, for the people who aren't in the Bay Area, that's the subway here, Bay Area Rapid Transit System. And uh, you were talking, you were telling a story on Bart about some dude masturbating. Oh yeah, well that's classic, man. I mean, if if you haven't seen it once, you got to do it, man. You haven't lived, dude. Like I, I was like laughing during that point because I had the exact same experience. It's yeah, dude. I mean, you see, I mean, it, like in Chicago, you hear about it, but I just never really saw it until I moved here, and now it's like it's like it's like on the Bart. Or even at the BART station, or on the sidewalk. I've seen a guy jerking off and walking. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I always tell people my only like shell shock here, culture shock, was mainly seeing bums take shits on the street. And uh, then I could after after that I could add people in the in BART masturbating, looking at me. 
Dude, I've seen a guy shitting and still having a conversation with another dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you gotta love the city. <laughs> it's all it's definitely got a character to it. And uh but no, it's uh but uh the best thing uh, I just I just put this on Facebook. I was uh in the mission drinking and uh for a show and while we're smoking a cigarette outside you see this guy in the mission just walking down this or up the street in on twenty fourth uh and skis. He's got skis on, he's just walking down the middle of the road smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and uh it was it was it was awesome man and i yeah i put it on i put it on facebook and uh see, people seem to enjoy it but yeah only in san francisco <laughs> yes yes and there's plenty of hills but no snow um <laughs> <laughs> thank but, god well i mean yeah there's no there's snow so <laughs> yeah one of the things that i've seen too uh which was fun and like kind of funny when you think about it but kind of sad on the other hand they're like curled up by a bus stop there was this lady curled up like in, instead of crying she was sa- just saying wah 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 i was like dude that's hilarious and sad at the same time but <laughs> i i had a i i remember seeing a lady and i was like walking i was at the civic center bar stop and i was going up the escalator and she says Hey, sir, great morning. Uh, can you please help me out today? I'm homeless. I'm like, is this your first day being homeless? Like, why are you so peppy right now? <laughs> You're awful cheery for being homeless, lady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I gave her a dollar, but also I was like a little hesitant, too, because, I mean, she seemed pretty put together still. So I was scared that, like, if I helped her out too much, that she would, like, take my job or something. So. <laughs> So how much how much uh, material do you gather from walking around San Francisco area? Oh man, I, I mean I'm not smart enough to like write like make up jokes. So everything I write has definitely happened to me, and uh, I'm very visual. So uh, I had this thing growing up as a I was like deaf till the age of four. Not a lot of people know that, but I was deaf really? till the age of four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've always kind of used my visual cues as a way to kind of like assess a situation or assess environment so uh i'm very visual so a lot of, a lot of my jokes come from just like walking around and or like overhearing like conversations and stuff like that and kind of going from there so what what happened that you were deaf till four was there uh, it's, it's kind of, yeah it was kind of it's kind of weird and i apparently i had like just like clots in both my ears or something that was a pretty deep in clots like they were just like junk buildup or whatever and uh it took them uh till about four years because at first they didn't know they didn't know I was deaf. My parents didn't really know what was going on. Um, yeah, I, I, I was like, well, I don't understand. Like, how did you not know? Like, well, we took you to the doctor, and the doctor said that either that you were either partially deaf or maybe just slightly retarded. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh and at I, that. I, but... No, no, it's only fine. I, I don't understand what kind of health insurance we had growing up. Like, that's the one. Of, it's either one of the two. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, well, just just look at him. Clearly, something's fucked up. So, uh, no. So that it took until about age four, and I would what I would do was I would, I would uh, converse to my brother. So like, I would want let's say I was thirsty, and I would try to like tell him that I was thirsty, and then he would tell my mom that I was thirsty. So it's a, it's a miracle that I'm even alive to this day. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Uh, so it just uh, magically cleared up at four. They did some kind of surgery where they were able to knock the both of the clots out, and then, uh, and then uh, everything has been decent since. Yeah, man. Sometimes my hearing gets a little bad from time to time, but no, it's basically pretty good from from here on out. Cool, man. Cool. So, um, 
what uh where have you been performing lately mainly in the bay area or just to change gears just a little bit um oh, but yeah. <laughs> no no transitional material here i'm sorry what i can't hear you no i'm kidding uh <laughs> no yeah i mean i i live in the bay area i'm sure you have this too it's a pretty expensive place to live uh that so i don't true. have like a, i don't have like a car or anything so yeah i'm mostly just doing shows in the bay area I do a little word, road work from time to time, but basically just mostly in the Bay Area performing. Great, and uh, and you're when you're not on stage, uh, I'm, is it true in like your set you were talking about doing Segway tours? Oh yeah, man, all day, man. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Segway tour guide in the Fisherman's Wharf, and then I also work at an, an escape room uh, in the Pal- Palace of Fine Arts. So I have two pretty fun jobs, nothing too serious. So, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man. It's like, it's, a, it's a definitely a, a fun. There's never a day where I wake up. I'm like, oh, I have to ride segways today. So it's a <laughs> pretty sweet gig. Right on, right on. And uh, for the escape rooms, are they, I, I've been wanting to do one of those. Are they actually challenging, or is it like, like okay, yeah, I just got to move this block and move this thing, and you know, I'm out. Well, so like I, I apparently I, I, don't, I mean, I didn't know where where I was getting hired when I when I applied there, but apparently the one that I work at. Um, it's like in the top one percent of escape rooms in the world, so it's like in the, it's a, it's like a top one percent, so it's pretty good. Uh, but there's a lot of shitty ones around there because it's kind of a new a new fad. So like a lot of people are starting shitty escape rooms just to make a quick buck, but there are some good ones uh, in in the Bay Area. Cool. So have you had to? Was part of the interview process having to escape from the room yourself, or? Yeah, it's fucking bullshit, dude. Uh, <laughs> They're like, yeah, it was by myself. Usually, like, they have like six or eight people solve these, solve these puzzles or try to get out of these escape rooms, and it's just me. And they're like, yeah, okay, we'll see you in twenty minutes. And then they come back, and I'm just like, <laughs> I haven't moved. I'm like, I don't understand what the hell you want from me right now. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think I was gonna get the job, but uh, yeah, the, the, I, I'm not a puzzle guy. I don't, I don't think that way. I don't. I, I'm basically okay. How do I, have, I think, do this to get out of this room? Well, then I'm just gonna live here. I'm gonna be here forever. <laughs> And uh, that's, I'm not getting out of this room. There's no chance of that happening. So. <laughs> All right. Well, what what made you move to the Bay Area? What made me move to the Bay Area? One, as we were talking about, I got sick of snow. Uh, two, being I lived in Iowa my whole life, and I wanted to get out. My brother was out here in the Bay Area, and uh, set me up with a job out here. I also wanted to get into doing stand up out here, okay. but. I just ended up getting in jobs where I was not able to make it to open mics, so I changed my focus to this podcast here for right now, then eventually wanting to get back into getting on stage. I still have the itch to do it, but I just want to you know, get something creative going right now to get some sort of a name for myself and then branch out from there. But one right of the- on, man. One of the one of the reasons I moved to the Bay Area was to be closer to the entertainment industry because I'd like to get into voiceover as well, and all that good stuff. My day job is far from any of that, but <laughs> <laughs> so is it like he's working nights and stuff like that? No, well, I work basically right now. I typically would get off work at six o'clock. But I've been doing a lot of overtime and stuff like that. So it's like, and the podcast has pretty much taken up a lot of my what would be free time. But this is what kind of helps keep me sane, like getting on stage or when I was in Cedar Rapids, I was also on the radio. It kind of, you know, those were my creative outlets there. Oh, right on, man. 
So, how, how, so do you have like a girlfriend, or are you a single guy in the Bay Area? I do have a girlfriend. Did you move? Did you move here with her? Nope, met her out here, man. Met her out here. Okay. Did the whole uh, Match.com thing. Didn't didn't do it on. Didn't actually meet her online though. I met her at like one of the stir events. So that was pretty cool. You got to uh, go out there and meet people in person and not worry about their digital profile lying to you. They could, you know, some people there could lie to you in person. And that that's more that's that means more. That's what I'm used to. (laughs) But uh, so how long were you you, like dating for a while in the Bay Area or did you was it pretty quick that you found her? Um, I met her like a. It was actually only a few months after I moved out here, so uh, so I've been with her for a while. Lucky, dude. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I can't do those on. I can't do like a like online dating anymore. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I did like Tinder and OkCupid, and I, I realized by joining those online dating sites that I'm a I'm a lot uglier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. There's like what makes uh, you say some- that, dude. There's only, well, there's only so many times you can change your profile pic before you're like, now nah, I'm pretty sure it's my face. <laughs> Man, mine was probably partially that, and uh, I don't know. I probably had some misspellings on my profile, and people were like, is this kid special? or? Yeah, if it was my doctor looking at your profile, it would say that you're either deaf or just slightly retarded. <laughs> well, the one thing that he'd have wrong is I'm just a half-blind epileptic. He, he was close, man. Yeah, I've I've actually I lost my sight in my right eye back when I was 27. So, uh, you were the first four years of your life, yeah, without without hearing. <laughs> I've been the last like nine years of my life without seeing out of one eye. <laughs> but maybe one day they'll remove the clots. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> or also like. Uh, I don't know, they always got new shit going out, like, you can use, like, a pig's eye or something like that, so... Or just give me a bionic eye that I can shoot lasers out of. Yeah, man, and then that would be, like, the best way to just get into it, like, like, do that and then get back into open mic comedy with your laser eye. That's gonna be a great shtick. I'd have to, I'd have to, uh, you know, register my eye as, like, a deadly weapon, you know, or a lethal weapon. Yeah, exactly, and then, uh, you have to wear, like, a little card or something, like, don't fuck with me or take my, my... Cubic, what's is it? A cubicle, the thing with the, the one glass. What's the one glass? Monocle, monocle. Monocle, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Don't make me ruin my monocle on you. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta have like a laser-proof eye patch to wear. You know, maybe maybe I'll be the like one of the first real superheroes or villains, one of the two, whichever one's more fun. You can do anything you put your eye to, dude. Exactly, exactly. I already, I'm right now. I'm just turning the blind eye to things, but. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I always wanted to joke about that on stage because that's how I dealt with it. But whenever, like, I brought it up on stage once or twice, and I just got Oz, and I didn't want that, you know? Yeah, it, like, it, it, it's a pain when no one you when you tell like a personal story on stage, and then they they like feel bad for you. Like, I've already felt like shit for however many years over this shit. Like, I'm I'm trying to like make you guys feel better, and they're like, oh, no, it's it's definitely. I don't know if it's Bay Area more or just. Uh, maybe reaching deeper levels of, of comedy and uh, personal stories on stage, but like, yeah, you're just like, guys, like, I, I need you right now. This is all I all I need is you laughing, and, and we're good. It's not just the Bay Area; it's Cedar Rapids too, because I tried to bring that out in Cedar Rapids area, oh, okay, so. and like, 
I don't know. Like when I was in the hospital, I was making jokes about it. I had to. I could either curl up in the corner and cry about it, or be like, I guess what they say about masturbation is right, you know? And like, <laughs> thank God I'm not ambidextrous. But <laughs> that's good. But you know, like when you joke about it on stage, you get that awe reaction, and that's a trick. You want to be more personal, or at least I did, and put more of yourself out there. But when you're not getting, but when you get a pity a pity a response it's like this isn't what i wanted <laughs> yeah it's, it's it brings me back to day one of me feeling this yeah yeah so do you do you put when you do you tell the story of you being deaf on stage and do you get pity applause for or well, pity, that, that, not pity applause it, but pity response yeah it's just, it's just more like well the joke where i mean it's definitely my parents definitely had a little i mean they i don't know what kind of sign or like what, what where was where was like health and stuff like the research and stuff like that i don't know what kind of tools they were working with in the early 90s but uh it just seems weird to me that they didn't really catch on that i was deaf till four because like my mom was like always around she was a stay-at-home mom at the time uh so like she didn't like you didn't notice anything different like i had an older brother he learned to speak in a year and a half i don't understand why <laughs> I'm not making words at age three. They're not like there's something going on. Uh, We're like, this kid just doesn't listen. I think they just like me because I was super fucking quiet. <laughs> that could be too. Yeah, because you aren't learning how to speak if you aren't hearing how to speak. So exactly, you can't complain if you don't know if you don't have the words to complain with. Very true. Very true. I just never thought about that till now. You you like just blew my mind, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, but I haven't really. I haven't. I've, I've been working on the, that story for probably the last like month, month and a half, and uh, that's that. That's gonna be one of those ones that will be a good bit in time. I just don't want to rush it, and uh, I just gotta. Yeah, that will. I'll be building that one over the months or whatever, and uh, hopefully something good will come out of it because it's uh, very true. And I, I don't think too many. There's not gonna be too many comics that are like I was deaf. No, I was deaf. So you don't have to really worry about people take in that <laughs> yeah yeah uh, the whole oscar wilde thing too like the nobody can do you like you are everybody else is already taken so be yourself that's why oh, exactly and then and there's so much i mean there's so much content out there and there's i mean we all we all date we all shit we all eat you know so there's going to be a lot of a layover but as long as you make it personal interesting to yourself then uh you're gonna be fine just fine yeah, but do you have a way of dealing with, like, the awe response? Do you, like, like, I remember talking to Bruce J uh, before, since you mentioned him at the beginning. He's He's been on, like, the Man Show and done, like, some, stand, was in, was an L.A. comic for a while. But he's, like, telling me, like, give, when you get the piteous response, just to, like, kind of get mad at the crowd for a second. Like, oh, fuck you guys. You're like, you didn't have to deal with it, but... Don't I don't want that shit. But do you have a way of like dealing with that? Well, it's a, a couple of things. One, Bruce Jay's a fucking a hilarious, but a he lunatic. Is. Oh, he literally, yeah. he has a, a prosthetic leg. And he literally crawls on the stage singing like a virgin to Madonna <laughs> while I've his while that. his fake leg falls off through the crawl, and like it's a it's amazing, dude. But uh, that guy's on a whole. I mean, he's been doing comedy for like 20, 30 years now, so he's a uh, He's a genius, man. He's uh, he's hilarious. But I mean, personally, I just I look at it, and I see the reaction, and uh, I just know that the joke's not ready yet or needs work, and then I and then I drink alcohol, <laughs> and that usually that usually helps. Okay, <laughs> all right. The, 
they get drunk and find a new way approach to it. (laughs) Taylor Swift and I just shake it off and I wake it up the next day hungover (laughs) and ready to write some new jokes. All right. All right. Or just forget that it went bad the first day. I'll I'll always know. I'll I'll record (laughs) it and I'll feel it again and again and again. Okay. So do you typically record your sets and go back and watch and kind of critique? It's more uh, more audio. I mean, I definitely would love to like record myself more visually, but it's just kind of a pain in the ass to like set up a, a stand, to rec- you know, to record with your phone. And, and also, I was doing an open mic one time, and somebody, and I was doing that. I was recording my set, and somebody stole my phone while I was on stage. So like ever since then, I've had the like my like my phone like right on the stool next to me or on a ledge behind me, um, yeah. so I don't get my phone stolen because I don't have a lot of fucking money because uh. Like we mentioned earlier, I'm a Segway tour guide, so clearly not killing it. So you don't I, you don't make a lot of money doing that. You do it during the busy season, but during the slow season, uh, it's pretty depressing. <laughs> Man, all right, all right. What about as an escape room operator? Escape room operator. I, I just started that gig. Uh, there's there's good money, but also if you if you if you take my cell phone, I will be phoneless for a month. <laughs> like that's what's gonna happen. So I'd really appreciate it if you. Didn't steal steal for me. That would be awesome. But uh, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. No I don't know shit. your your situation. You know, you might need a little more. You might think you might need a little more, but probably not. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, if, if somebody took my phone, I'd probably be phoneless for a little while too. So that that really sucks. And it, it, and it's just like, have you ever lost your phone? I got your phone stolen before. Uh, no, but I have uh, dropped it and shattered the screen. And not able to use it because I had like the phone that I have now is an LG and it's like one just just touch like no buttons on it just the screen. Okay. And once you shatter the screen, even if it's a little crack on it, the screen is inoperable. So well, that's, a, that's frustrating. It's like man, that's just a bunch of shit. So I had to go for like a week, week and a half without really being able to use my phone. I could answer a phone call with my headset. If somebody called me, okay, but yeah, there was no getting on Facebook, no checking messages, no texting people. You know, I was like a social pariah for a while because my phone didn't work. Were you were, were you uh, sober or uh, impaired in some way when you dropped your phone? I was actually sober. Uh, it was like sitting. I was like sitting down on like a uh, park bench and like down by Lake Merritt in Oakland. And like I had taken my case off that day because my screen, my case was all like dirty and like had like screen protector had smudges on it and whatever. I set it on my lap and it slid off my leg because my case is uh, OtterBox rubber one where it kind of like sticks. So I kind of just, you know, can set it there and it'll stay. But without yeah. that, it just slid off face down on like on some asphalt crack shit, spider web, the whole screen. And I was like, fuck, that sucks. <laughs> Dude, it's even worse. Like I've, I've lost my phone while drinking before or whatever, but like the worst is when you're sober and you, and this shit happens. Cause you're like, I, I, I was, I was doing all the right things. I swear to God, I was, doing, <laughs> I was being an adult. I was sober and I was, I was making right decisions. And then, and then it happens and it, it, it takes you back to the ground level. I know, man. Just when you think you're adulting well, shit like I mean, that happens. I, I wouldn't, I, I've never claimed to be adulting well. <laughs> <laughs> Slow, slowly but surely adulting. <laughs>
slowly but surely adulting. I like that. I like that. Baby steps to the elevator. Hey, we're not in a rush, you know. It's, it's not a race. <laughs> we're all gonna get there. It's just uh, slow and easy, right? Yes. All right, man. So, um, you've been doing stand up for how long now? Uh, right around like six or seven years. Six or seven years. All right. Do you have any advice for people who are looking to get started out that you've come across in your six or seven years or either get started out or take the next step in stand up? I mean, I mean, when you start out, uh, I mean, when you start out, the most important thing is if you if you can make your friend, everyone thinks there's a difference between making your friends laugh and making all, and strangers laugh. I mean, there's some truth to that. But also, I mean, your friends are your toughest critics. So if you tell a joke, it's not funny. They're going to tell you. They're going to be very vocal of why you're not funny, and then they're all going to roast you. And But but yet, if you make them laugh, they're genuinely laughing at something you did. So it could either be the way you said it or the, the, your body language or your anger going into it. Um, so there's always something there. So it's it's not so much – there's not a huge – I don't see really see a huge difference at the beginning thing when it comes to say, like, can I do this? And then the biggest thing is just signing up, putting your name on that list and just getting up and – once you experience that, then, I mean, who can tell you that you did anything wrong? So at least as long as you did it one time and uh, you tried and uh, then that's the, that if you're starting out, that's that's and then don't worry about your job. Everything will figure out itself later. Your relationships will probably all crumble. But don't worry so much about that. Just just if you want to do it and you something even you only live once, you know what I mean? So true. You might as well try it and, and feel it. Um, and then when it comes to getting to that next level, I mean, I started in Iowa, so this is kind of different because I have a buddy, like you mentioned, Tom Garland, who stayed in Iowa. I thought when I was in Iowa, I thought there was no way of making it as a comedian in a town or in a city that didn't have the biggest city was fucking Des Moines. Uh, (laughs) So I went the different route. I moved to the cities um, because I wanted to be closer to the more professional comics and everyone that's touring or on the cut. Like I just saw a punchline on Sunday or on, on Thursday or Friday, I saw Brett Ernst go up and uh saw him do about an hour hour 10 and you're not i never had the opportunity of seeing that in a smaller city or a smaller state so i'm i made the route of getting to these bigger uh cities where you have a lot more comedians and you you see a lot more uh better talent i would say bigger better uh talent pool than you might see in a smaller place Uh, but also i mean tom did the route where he stayed in iowa and he and he focused on the road and he did a lot more self-promotion and uh, he's doing great things as well. So that's making that next step is realizing that this is something you want to do. And then how you going to what's the best uh, plan of attack for that? So, I mean, it's if you uh, if it's inconvenient, then change your life to ways to make uh, comedy a little more convenient, because if it's something that you really want, it's it's going to be the reason why you want to wake up the next day. So uh, but first start out, do mics. And then if it's something that you really want to do. Then you gotta figure out what route you want to take with that, and then what's the best approach for you. And, it's, and the, even if that best approach isn't going to be the most comfortable by any means, uh, you just have to know that in time, it's hopefully it'll be worth it. Yeah. Okay. That's very good advice. Um, I I agree with you very much in the beginning too. It's not a whole lot different making your friends laugh and making strangers laugh, and your friends are harder on you. I think the main thing that's different is between making your friends laugh and going on stage is a lot of the times you can correct me if you think i'm wrong here but when you're making your friends laugh a lot of times it's situational like you're there in that moment 
and you know somebody does something stupid you make a joke off the cuff about that well you're on the stage a lot of people are trying to be in that same situation but without that without that situation actually happening there they struggle so I'm not, uh, and I think I mean that's totally right I think it's just more of a when you're with your friends you're comfortable you know you're relaxed you're not trying to put on a, a face that you're not you're being very true to you and you're being genuine but also you're comfortable because you know these people around you so you know what you can say that's why you're, they're friends so if you can get on stage that same being that comfortable that same kind of state of mind of, com- of comfort then you're going to be fine just fine but it's that whole thing when you get on stage it's no longer it's it's very uncomfortable because uh, you're not not everyone's used to like talking in front of a huge groups of people into a microphone where only you matter now. When it's your friends, everyone's got to say. You know, you have your your two cents in here or there or whatever. But when you're on stage, it's just you. So it's basically just find that same comfort um, on stage or off on stage that you had off stage. I would say. Yeah, yeah, and I I'm gonna go back and quote something I heard Martin Lawrence say a long time ago too. He's like, comedy is taking those you had to be there situations and taking the audience and actually putting them there. Yep, painting a picture, man. Exactly. That's a that's a beautiful quote. Yeah, and also if uh, I'll, uh, that kind of reminded me too of, of uh, Bill Hicks would say, "More you, less jokes." So he would always have his jokes ready to go. But in between those jokes, he would talk more about him because he knew his jokes would always work, but he wanted to connect with the audience on a more of a personal level. So he would talk more about him, more about him. And sometimes that would go good, and then he would keep doing that. But if it wasn't going good, then he would rely on his bits again, and then he'd bring the laughter back up and just keep going up and down like that. Yeah, that's that's a great quote. I haven't heard that one before. But uh, Bill Hicks, man, he was definitely something. I I wish I could have seen Bill Hicks live. That would have been great. <laughs> I can't. I, I mean, I, I fucking love Bill Hicks, but I, I that's the one of those guys that I can't watch anymore because when I watch like a documentary, I watch one of his stand-ups specials. I'll I'll start going on stage and kind of sounding like him a little bit, and I can't. I'm not. Uh-huh. I can't pull it off, man. I get I get angry, and I'm like, ah, what about this? We're all we're all sheep. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, okay, just chill out, Greg. Uh, have a beer, relax, smoke a bowl. There, there is stuff. that danger. That is, there is that danger. Like there was a, uh, I didn't quite slip into it, but there was a time when I was listening to Mitch Hedberg a lot. And oh, like, yeah, and that you can't, you cannot really copy Mitch Hedberg. Like his jokes, like if you just said them in a normal tone, probably wouldn't make most people laugh. It's all his delivery. Mm-hmm. And it's that delivery that made him him. But you know, if a lot of people tried to copy that for a little while, no, definitely, man. Because like, I mean, his jokes were like very smart, but he, he wasn't threatening. So like, people kind of like uh, they trusted him instantly because he wasn't like loud. He wasn't looking at me. He was very he had his sunglasses on. He stayed in one place. He sounded kind of nervous. He would do one liners, and if a joke didn't work, he would be very vocal on that. He'd be like. What? <laughs> That joke uh, did not work. Ho- hopefully, uh, I don't tell it again accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of reminds me of David Letterman back in the day. I remember first time, first time I learned how to deal with a joke that didn't work was watching David Letterman. He like was doing his monologue, said something, and he obviously expected a way bigger laugh than it got. And then he was after the joke, he was just like, "Oh." Bamo, <laughs> just like that one didn't work, and then moved on, you know. But like acknowledging that, uh, then the crowd laughed when he did that, so he won the crowd back with that. 
Dude, so. and then I gotta be like, there's nothing better than when uh, a, a good comedian is bombing or has a joke that bombs and you're a comedian in the back. It's a great feeling because we're all going to experience that from time to time. And it's just great just, just seeing it, man. And just people getting knocked down like, OK, I'm not great. I, OK, back to back, back to square one. OK, thank you so much for that. It's just yeah. awesome seeing it. It, it, it is. It, and it also gives you that feeling like, OK, good. I'm not the only one that bombs, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So just like, haha, you suck. And then it, it, inside you're like, I, I'm next. I hope that doesn't happen to me. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> What do you do uh, to promote yourself, Greg? You mo- mentioned earlier Tom was really good at promoting himself out of Iowa. What are you doing to promote yourself now that you're out in the Bay Area? Um, basically, I mean, it's just basically what I in, in the cities. What I've learned when you move to a city, it's very intimidating because you're a, a small fish in a big pond. And uh, so what I've what I've found the best way to start a scene is add to the community. So if you're going to be in that scene for a while. Maybe start an open mic, you know, or start a showcase. And if you start your own mic or showcase, comics are going to come to you now. And if they come to you, then you can kind of meet them that way. And it's not so threatening or it's not so like, I got to get in with the cool kids by any means. Um, it's, it's a lot more natural. So um, that's what, what I, when I first moved to a city, that's what I would do. I'd start an open mic and start a showcase, meet people that way. And then you just do the rounds, man. And there's always people that want to. Uh, see you and get to and get to know you and you just gotta talk to them and be friendly, exchange information, and uh, and it's always I mean it's always good to like to, a lot of people don't like talking to the, the audiences, uh, but I re- I really enjoy it, especially if they like the show. I like I like talking to them because uh, we're we're not different. We're not we're the same people and uh, no one's different. It's always just good to re- to relate to one another. And someone says you said this thing and it really connected with me, and that's that's the reason why I do it. I had to. Make sure that my existence is normal in some way. So, uh, yeah, and it's just basically just meeting people, talking, exchanging information. So where you can see this constantly promoting on Facebook. I got these shows coming up this week, but uh, Tom does it uh, a whole another way because he's 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 nationwide. Like I'm focusing mostly on the Bay Area, West Coast, maybe maybe Las Vegas, maybe Denver, maybe a little in that area, or up to Seattle or Portland. But that's mostly my area, the West Coast. And but he's all over the country, so he's got cards. He does little short videos. He's gonna say he does radio. So I mean, it just depends what route you're doing. But uh, uh, no, yeah, me personally, just being in the city and focus on this area, I kind of just mostly try to promote in this area. Right. Yeah, I like the whole talking to the crowd afterwards too. Um, did that when I was with radio. Did that when I was uh, doing stand up and everything like that. And if you're really cool with the crowd afterwards, there's a good chance that they'll go tell their friends and be like, "Dude, next time you got to come check out this guy when whenever he performs. Uh, he was cool. He was funny on stage and he was really cool off stage. So, you know, the yeah, word of mouth a, is always good. And that's a, that's a huge thing, man. Because like people. They just want to. Everybody wants to connect. I really believe that everybody wants to have something like just want to connect with one another in some way. And with stand up, you can get very personal. So, I mean, a lot of people start conversations. Hey, how are you doing? How's the weather? Yada yada yada. It takes about two or three months to find out that person's wife's cheating on them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but uh, with stand up, I you can open with that. You know, and uh, you just find ways to connect with people. So when they do come off stage, it's. It's, it's amazing for me, but also it's just cool to know that there's people out there that see things like me and vice versa. They hear me tell my thing. They're like, I'm not crazy either. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, speaking of connecting like with the crowd, 
Uh, what do you want the crowd to take away from your performance? What do you want somebody who comes to see you on stage remember as they leave? Um, basically, I mean, I, I, I talk about the kind of darker things. I put, I make it sound a little lighter, but it's pretty dark. Um, so I just like people knowing that what I'm, when I'm doing, I'm being genuine. Uh, cause that's a huge thing. Especially, I always think about this, like when Charlie Sheen got caught for like all his like, yeah, I smoke Coke or crack or whatever and tiger blood. And everyone's like, yeah, that's, that's cause we know exactly who you are. You're a drinker, you're a partier. This doesn't shock me. He got fucking HIV. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but t- <laughs> Tiger Woods, he gets caught cheating and he almost ruins his whole golfing career because everyone's like, you you said you're this and you're not that. You lied. So I, when I'm on stage, I just want everyone to know that everything I'm talking about is very honest and I'm not not I'm not putting up a, a facade. The person I'm on stage is a person I'm off stage. So that would be my biggest thing that I try to come across on stage. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's definitely good, like, genuineness on stage, you know? People can tell when you're being fake a lot of the times. Or if they can't, like you mentioned with Tiger Woods, if they find out you were being fake and didn't know, it can come back to bite you in the ass. Exactly. So I never have to worry about someone being like, I heard you're drinking or, or doing this or that. I'm like, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I was. I talked about it on stage. I'm not. That's that's exactly accurate. 100%. That's what I've been telling you all along. Haven't you been yeah. listening? Were you exactly. deaf? Tell you were for. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> all right. What has been your biggest uh, highlight of your career so far in stand up? I would say just meeting people, all, comedians all across the country, and uh, I mean, some some people you meet from uh, other other uh, continents and stuff like that, but really. I mean, I know people in every city of the United States and then some. So it's just cool knowing that I can go to this place or that place and know people. So, I, I, I mean, definitely, I mean, you always had these things of, like, opening. For, like, I, we, me and Tom just opened for Rob Van Dam a couple of weeks ago. Um, you, you meet cool people, like, in that sense, like, kind of your own uh, people you saw growing up. Um, also, But also, it's really just meeting people around the country that are like you, that you get along with. And uh I think that personally, I think that would be the highlight. Just meeting, meeting a lot of new, uh, cool people along the way. Yeah, man, that 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 is awesome. Like knowing people wherever you go, be like, oh yeah, I got this guy here. We can, uh, you know, do this if you're in town or whatever. And that show you opened with Tom for for Rob Van Dam, it was at DNA Lounge, right? Yeah, exactly. I was planning on going to that. But I got the days mixed up, man. Like, I was like, I texted him, like, the day after the show. Or, yeah, I was like, oh, man, was that show tonight? He's like, it was yesterday, dude. I was like, fuck. And, yeah, I felt like shit. I wanted to go see that. I seen, I haven't seen Tom do stand-up in so long. No, yeah, same here, man. Uh, it's been, like, probably three. I mean, I he did about 30 minutes. Uh but it's been probably like three years, and that's another thing too. Like uh, me and Tom, we started doing comedy together. We haven't seen each other in three years, and then he comes to San Francisco. We do a show, and back to normal, you know. So it's just those friendships that you meet along the way that uh, they're always going to be there, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Um, but you should you should have gone to that show. That show is pretty fun. You should have gone. I should have, man. Uh, but even if I wanted to, I couldn't have made it because I was. I had to work like mandatory overtime that night before, which really sucked ass. But I didn't realize I was missing the show at that time, so I wasn't as pissed. But <laughs> yeah, 
That's a good way to go about it. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. Damn, real yeah. jobs always get in the way. It, it was a, that was a fun night though. Yeah, we did the DNA lounge and then we uh, partied afterwards. And it was cool uh, just hanging out with Rob Van Dam and hanging out with Tom too. So it was a, that was a fun night. So you you really blew it. I did, man. I suck at life, all right? Will you quit reminding me? <laughs> but, damn, man. I, well, I don't know. I hope he makes it back out to the Bay sometime soon because I want to wanna check him out. And I definitely would like to uh, check out a show that you're doing sometime. Uh, what shows do you have coming up right now? Um, yes, yeah, so I got a couple things. I uh, Well, this week, Tuesday, I'm at Tuesday and Wednesday – I'm at uh, at Kells in San Francisco. Um, at the shows are at eight o'clock, and uh, on Saturday I'm at Brave New Jokes. It's at a bookstore in the Mission, and then in late March I'm uh, I'm doing a show at Sleazor. It's kind of a punk punk venue as well, which is gonna be pretty cool. And also I run a mic every Tuesday in San Francisco at a place called the Club OMG. Every Tuesday it's an open mic. Um, so that's always fun. It starts sign ups at six, show goes from seven to nine. And then, uh, we, in the next couple weeks, we'll be having the fu- future dates. We'll be doing a monthly house show in Oakland, uh, at this really cool house. That's like kind of a performance arts place. Uh, it's very, very chill. It's going to be cheap beer and uh, cheap tickets and a uh, pretty good night. So uh, I got a couple things in the fire right now, but, uh, for sure, uh, those shows I just mentioned, the ones, the best place to check me out also, of course, go to my Facebook, Greg Gettle, uh, G-E-T-T-L-E, first name's Greg, uh, Twitter handle, Gettle, G Gettle Comedy, and uh, yeah, man, I, that, that'll be the most place, the best place to go if you want to see upcoming shows. All right, perfect, man, perfect. I have one more question for you, Greg, and it's yep. kind of the title question of the show. Um, Greg Gettle, how do you live uncontained? Uh, basically, you just see... You see, when I was growing up, you see people live a life that I don't know if I, I, I looked at it and it, they had so many passions and so many dreams and so many goals. And as the years go on, as life happens, people kind of forget those goals and those goals and those dreams. And you just kind of see how it affects people in their eyes. You know what I mean? Or their, their demeanor and they wake up and they're miserable. And, and, and like I said, you see all that and it's just like, I, it's nothing I didn't never want to do. So. I mean, I graduated from University of Iowa with a psychology uh, degree, with sociology minor, had all the tools, and then I was just like, you know what, fuck all that. <laughs> I'm not, I don't care. Um, so then, but so you have shitty jobs, and you, you, I just got health insurance. I haven't had health insurance for four years. I just got health insurance. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen a dentist in God knows how long. Uh, so there's going to be a lot. I mean, you're going to also, the relationships, you're going to, good luck. I mean, the fact that you have a girlfriend is fucking amazing. Uh, but you're, usually you probably not have a girlfriend or a while. And if you do find a girlfriend, the relationships will probably be unhealthy. Um, so, and there's a lot of, and then the business is going to keep knocking you down. And, but you just gotta know, wake up that say hey, one day, I hope this is, it'll be worth it. But in, in the meantime, this is exactly how I want to be doing things. So you just got to keep reminding yourself that being a piece of shit is not the worst thing. <laughs> Great man, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Um, I have one more thing to do. I usually have my guests sign off the show for me. Uh, will you do me the honor? Uh, you got it, man. So you know how life, how your boss tries to tell you you got to be here, you got to do this, and your girlfriend's saying you got to. We don't hang out enough. You don't take me. You don't take me out enough. You don't care about me. You're like 
Stop trying to contain me. I cannot. I'm uncontained. And that does it for this week's episode of Uncontained. Thanks again to Greg Gettle, and thank you to you for listening. And, yeah, that sounded a little redundant, but that's all right. Thank you for supporting the show. And uh, by getting to uncontainedpod.com, clicking the Amazon banner at the top of the page, and also just spreading the word about the show. Rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the links to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever podcast player you listen to i appreciate all the people who are out there spreading the word and supporting the show thank you once again for listening and as always until next time live uncontained